Well, we are continuing our series through the book of Exodus, God's glory and redemption. And I highlight that because it really is about God's glory. And as we've seen, we've learned about Moses, the children of Israel. We pick up in chapter 33, and um, we're really starting to see this narrative flow. The people have been called together as a people chosen to God. Uh, Linda read about that earlier in 1 Peter, that we are a holy nation, a priesthood called to God. And yet life ebbs and flows, doesn't it? But ultimately, all that God is doing is about God's glory. And so what we've done is we've looked at these two points, which you'll see the tension develop in this text again, is that God is working a good plan built on his promises. He promises to extend his love and faithfulness, his covenant faithfulness to us. But that plan rarely plays out like we think it's going to. And these things have been coming up again and again. And so even today, you experience this tension in Moses' life as they have sinned. The children of Israel have sinned, agreed to sin against God. And now what? What does that mean? And you'll see God's mercy and glory on display. So if, uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Exodus 33. Uh, we're going to read from verse 12. We're going to be in chapters 33 and 34, and I'm going to read from verse 12 and 33. I'll give you a little context about the first part of that, and then we won't get very far into 34, but we'll give you some context on the way out as well. But verse 12 here all the way through 23, this is what it says. This is the encounter that Moses is having with God. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I am gracious. I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see my face and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by you, I will put you in a cleft of the rock And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This, of course, an incredible encounter of God asking to see or Moses asking to see God's glory and and him passing by him. I would ask that you pray, pray that God would speak to you. And it's a simple prayer. Say, God, would you just open my heart? tune it towards you, speak what you want to speak so that I could be transformed by it, and I'll pray for us collectively. You do that now. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this time that we have together amongst busy weeks and activity and schedules and 
maybe even thinking about the next thing. I pray that we wouldn't be thinking about the next thing, but we'd be thinking on you, thinking what you want to say to us as we've just read that Moses asked for you to show him your, your glory. Father, big request, but it was born out of a desire because he wanted to know you. And so I would pray this morning that all of us would desire to know you, that you would open our hearts, that you'd speak through your word, transform us by your grace. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. So over the course of last several weeks, I've asked maybe at the beginning of my sermon time a question to you. And I would ask this as the question as I begin. Do you really desire to know God? Now, while you may think that that's just an obvious, well, what am I here? What am I here for? What am I doing? Obviously, I want to know God. But think about it in terms of this. Is that like the passion that fuels all your other relationships becomes secondary to that being the priority? I want to know who God is. You see in this text a developing attitude over the course of many years, Moses knowing God more intimately. And it's at this point where he wants to know God in his fullness. He wants to know his character. He wants to be reminded of it. He wants to know everything about him. Is that your first priority in all your other relationships? Now, before I begin a note, I would say about or to moms, if there is one thing I know about mothers, it is that they know their children better than anyone else. They pay attention to every detail. And often, as it said, a mother's intuition is unlike anything else. They just know. They know when their children are sad or happy or off a little bit or burdened by something. They just know their children. Fathers, I can speak to this. We just don't have that as well, that in-tuneness. But this isn't really a Mother's Day message, but it does have, this text, a strong emphasis on a characteristic of what a mom demonstrates so well. Two things. One, a mom really wants to know their child well. They want to develop that relationship and and does effectively better than anyone else. And two, they have this built-in characteristic that is God-given and much like God. They have mercy, grace, and unconditional love. It's said often that in most mothers at the very core of who they are is this unconditional love and forgiveness. And that is an innate characteristic, like hardwired into most moms. They love like God loves. They desire grace and mercy for their children. Even when their children act up, even when they're bad, even when they're wayward, there's this thing of moms. They just desire to love them unconditionally. And so today, I would just say this. I hope that this text draws you to God in the way that he does that. His mercy and unconditional love, that, that we end up thanking him for moms like, like we have that demonstrate that, but ultimately it's his character that we praise. Moses was thankful for his mom, no doubt. If you remember way back when, when we started this book, she gave him up so he could live. So as we turn our attention back towards the text We'll dive in here to Exodus 33 and 34, and let me give you some context from where we picked up in verse 12. If you weren't here last week, or if you're not to this point in the narrative, rather, after this is after the golden calf incident, which I would not even call it an incident, like we would say, oh, like this incident. This is the people forgetting who God was, what he's asked them to do, break the first three commandments like as soon as they can have opportunity to do, and they go against God. 
They've broken the covenant. They've worshipped a false idol. They've given credit to a false idol, the things that belong to God alone in their deliverance of the people. And they've bowed their lives before this idol. And now Moses stands and he has to intercede for them again. He has to come back and say, God, don't wipe them from the face of the earth. You see, they're punished and God tells them, he will not go on with them lest he consume them. He is furious with these people who he's brought out of Egypt, out of slavery. He's delivered them. He's given them all this gold to to build the tabernacle and to worship him for them to be his people. And they kind of just like turn their nose up at him. And say like, well, we'll just worship somebody else. We don't even know what happened to Moses. Moses comes down. He's angry now. And he has to go back. And God said that his whole presence, what we've talked about for weeks now, God desiring to be with us and for us to be in his presence, it's all threatened now. It's all threatened because of their stiff necks and unwillingness to repent. We talked about that much last week. So God tells the people again that he won't go on any longer And Moses will try to convince him otherwise. And it says there uh, towards the end of that text before that the people mourned. And now Moses is confused. He doesn't know how this is all going to work, right? Those first two points that we've tried to like move us through this series. Like, God, you've promised, but that's not working out the way that I thought it would. And he's really confused. God, how is this going to work? And it's here that you're introduced right before the text that we read from is the tent of meeting, which Moses sets up outside of the camp and meets with the Lord. This is interesting, and I note this because the tabernacle was to be about God's dwelling in their midst, right? And Moses is now meeting outside the camp in a tent with God because there's this lull. Like, what is going to happen here? People have broken the covenant. Moses is now outside of the tent when God's desire was to be in the midst of his people, But you see, God is still with Moses speaking to him. In fact, I do want to read verse 11, the verse before where I started because I love it and it kind of shows where we're headed today. It says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's remarkable to me that God would speak to Moses face to face and it denotes something that he desired a relationship with his people. He wanted Moses to know him and for Moses to know God. It's just different now. The children of Israel have come off this great sin. But you have to remember here that Moses is the forerunner of Christ. He is how the people right now are being connected to God at this moment. He is their only connection, in fact. And and at this point in the story, if this is like a movie where you're tracking the narrative here, this is like critical that Moses is like, what's going to happen? Are the people going to go on with God? You can hear that voiceover in your head right now. What's going to happen? Or or is God just going to like wipe them from the face of the earth? And Moses is their only connection. But remember, he's a forerunner. Later, Jesus will come as we know and as we celebrate and be that priest and final mediator and door by which we can know God intimately and personally. So diving in here, this passage we read, we find Moses in this encounter with God, and he's going to try to restore, much like Christ has done for us fully, this relationship between the children of Israel and God, between God and his people, and it's born out of one desire, that he lives passionately to know God, to truly know him. So look at this. Join with me here in verse 12. So he asks this question in verse 12. See, you say to me, bring up this people. He's reminding God, this is what you called me to do. When you showed up at the burning bush, when you asked me, 
Much like God asks us to do things and, and then our, our life turns a little bit different. He says, this is what I've been obedient to. This is what you've asked me to do. Bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Moses is questioning God and saying, I don't even know what's going on now. And he begins to plead with God. He says, I want to obey, but I don't know what you're doing. How often have you asked that question in your own life? God, I want you to obey. I want to obey you, but I don't know what's going on right now. And that's the tension in Moses' heart. He then continues in verse 13 and he says this, Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me. Right? This is the prayer. Like, God, I want to know what to do. Show me your ways that I might, what? Know you. In order to find favor in your sight, consider this too, that this is a nation, that this nation is your people. Now, what's interesting is Moses asked God, I want to know what to do. And he didn't do what we often do. God, I want to know what to do so that my life can be better. God, I want to know what to do so that I don't have to feel alone. God, I, I want to know what to do so that like, I can keep my train moving. He says, God, I want to know what to do so that I can know you. I want your favor. I want your good pleasure over me. I want to please you, so show me what to do so I can know you. How will I know if I have your favor? Show me. I want to know you. And it's born out of one thing. It's the first of three points I'll make this morning. Moses wants to know who God is. It's as simple as that. If you miss that in this text, you're missing it. He just wants to know who God is. It says almost if his soul does a little time out, he kind of checks everything that's all transpired here. Remember, Moses was meeting with God when the people were worshiping this golden calf and idol. He comes down, sees this rejoicing. He's furious by this, throws down the tablets, the Ten Commandments, the law, crushes them, and he doesn't know what's going on. It's as if this is a soul timeout. God, I just want to know you. You brought me, you stood before me in the presence of this burning bush. You said, I'm going to be with you, lead my people out of Egypt. I have plans for you as a people. And now he's just like, I just want to know you. And he asks him, or he tells him rather, he wants to be obedient to him. Which friends, obedience of God and knowing God are linked. And here's why I say that, because many in the church today say they know God but they don't obey God. They say, well, I have a relationship with God, but they don't do what he says. In fact, I would say it this way, to know God is to obey God. To obey God is to know God. They're linked. You can't say you know God or have, I'm a Christian, and just not listen to what he says. That's not knowing him at all. And Moses desires that so that he can know how to please God. That, be, that ought to be our heart's desire to please God and to do what he said. And so Moses continues. The dialogue goes like this. He picks it up in, in verse 14 here. He says, and he said, God, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. There's promise in there. And he said to him, if your presence, this is Moses' attitude about this. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Isn't that remarkable? Moses doesn't want to do anything without God continuing on with him. If you think about this point in the story, if you're Moses, and I, there's part of me that would probably do this, I'm just going to try to salvage the mess, right? I'm going to try to, like, all right, this didn't work out. 
the way that we thought it, I'm going to try to just step up my game as a leader, and I'm just going to like try to move these people right back. And Moses said, I don't even want to do it if you're not going to go. How many of us have an attitude like that? God, I don't even want to live if you're not going to be before me, inside me, around me. I don't even want to go on. That's the ad- what if that was the attitude, not doing anything apart from God's presence? He cared so deeply about walking with God and being in right relationship with him. That was Moses' passion. You have to remember, from the moment Moses encountered God, At the burning bush, he began to walk with God. God said, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. He said, this is going to be you and me. Not about Moses, per se, but this is about you following my leadership. Moses was with the excuses, right? God, I'm not eloquent. God, I can't lead these people. God, I'm not, like, they won't follow me, and blah, 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 blah. And God says, I want you to lead my people. I want to have a relationship with you. And at that point, and it wasn't always perfect, right? But God had called him to something. He had saved him from something, and he knew he would need to depend on him. Moses knew that he would need to depend on God. And up to this point, Moses has been through quite a bit and has grown and matured, and we've watched him, right, grow as a leader. And here he is saying, God, I want to live a life that pleases you, and I don't even want to go on if it can't be with you. Friends, is that our passion in the same way, to know who God is so that we can find his favor? Are you seeking that way? Are you in the scriptures that way to know God? We can know a lot of things in our culture. We can know a lot of things because we live in an information age where you can find out a lot of stuff in a short amount of time. You can Google anything. You can watch YouTube videos about anything. I like can fix my car. I'm not even a mechanic. I could just watch a YouTube video and instantly find out how to know things. Do I have the same passion in my heart for God when I open up his word and I've got all this chaos of life around me? Do I bring my soul before him and say, God, I just want to know how to live. I want to know how to treat my spouse. I want to know how to to honor my wife. I want to know how to honor my mom and dad. I want to know how to like honor all my relationships. I don't know how to walk with integrity. I want to know how to have a career that, that, that both like makes money but pleases God first and foremost. I want to know how to do things. Do we go to this book in that way with a desire to know him, to know who God is so that we can find his favor? Are you looking to God more in that way or are you more busy with so many other distractions? I just don't think that way all the time that you miss out on walking with him. And that's what Moses is all about And as he comes to him. When Moses says at the end of verse 13, this phrase, consider too that this nation is your people. What is he doing here? He's reminding God and not reminding God as if God forgot, but Moses is this intercessor. And we learned last week, he asked God to change his mind to not like, ruin the people from the earth and and destruct them completely. And he comes again and says, God, don't you remember that we're your people? A people to himself, to be in relationship with him? And he says, don't you remember, God, it was you that pursued us, desired relationship. Friends, whatever you think about God this morning, however you came in here, And some, I bet, just think, and if we're honest, some of us probably think this. Even those that have walked with God for many years might even just think that God is somewhere up there 
in heaven and sits up there and he looks down at all the chaos and he slaps slaps us around a little bit when we mess up because that's what he does. Your perception is way off. He wants to be in relationship with you. He made a way for that to happen. And I hope you see that fleshed out, this pursuit of Moses and his people, and ultimately that you see it first and foremost in what God did in sending his son Jesus. He wants to be in relationship with us. And so we get to verse 16, and Moses says, For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not, and this is what he reminds God, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? How will I know? Will it be your coming with us? Moses knows that this is the marker of knowing God. He doesn't want God to do, as he said, by not going up with him. Moses is pleading here, God, be with your people. He points this out. He says, isn't that what makes us distinct? That you're here with us and we are yours? That's a really good point, Moses. He is becoming quite the debater. Friends, what makes Christianity so distinct from any other world religion? That's exactly what makes us distinct. We have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Think about that. That's what makes us distinct. And Moses points it out. God, wait a second. If you're not going to go with us, then we're not going to be in relationship and we're not your people anymore. And we're kind of floating on our own, which is what every other world religion is about. Kind of like not sure if they really know if they're going anywhere. Have I done enough good works? Is is this God I worship really real? And that's what distinction is here for the people of Israel and for us as Christ followers. It's because we have a personal relationship that makes us distinct. And Moses points that out. We were created to know God and worship him and obey him and love him. And in return, God had covenanted to love and care for his people. To provide for to protect, protect, and then when we see Jesus comes to earth and then he leaves to give the Holy Spirit for this continued presence. And none of this is based on merit or works. That's who we are, created to know God and be with him. And so Moses reminds God, what makes us distinct from every other nation in the world? It's that we would know you and be in relationship. And so if you know Christ, you go outside these doors and you're automatically distinct because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and the creator God who made you. And you're you're distinct from the world. That's why we read a text from 1 Peter that says we're a holy nation, a, a priesthood, a set apart, chosen, sanctified, holy, apart from the world. And that's who we are. And so God convinced, right, not changing his mind per se, but wanting to draw Moses closer in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. Watch, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Do you see what just happened there? Moses says, God, I want to know you. And, and Moses comes towards God with a great faith and he pleads for the people of Israel and he pleads for himself, for himself and said, God, I want to be in relationship with you. That's what makes us distinct. Would you, just, would you go with us? And God says this very thing, I will do and I know you by name. In return to Moses who wanted to know, God says, I know you. Moses has stepped up here and God really sees his heart in action If you remember, 
last week, remember that Moses had said to God in chapter 32, if he would not forgive the people, that he would just rather have his name blotted out of the book of life. Do you remember that? Moses wanted to please God so much that anything short of that was considered a failure. Moses wanted to please God so much that anything short of that was considered a failure. And God's response, I see your heart. You have found favor. I know you by name. Friend, God knows us by name. Names were super, super important in the Bible, and they still are. They always have been. Mothers and fathers give names to their children, some with great meaning and intent. Or there are some you meet, like they have all these meanings, the first three kids and then the last kid like has a name like Bob or Jim. And if you're Bob or Jim, that's not anything against your name. But you know what I'm saying? Like Names have this intent and meaning behind them. Like they're given to, to people and God changes names of people in the Bible when he sets them towards a new calling. He did that for Abraham, Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah. Names carry relationship and purpose. This is another reason why all three of your names are used when your mom is yelling at you, right? She wants to make sure she's getting the right one. They're about relationship and distinction and purpose. And God is not saying here that he knows Moses' Moses's name like it is some trivia question, like, I'm God, of course I know your name. He's not saying it like that. He's signaling to Moses, again, his desire to be in relationship. I know you by name. Friends, some of us don't even think of God that way. We think of God as some distant, like, am I in his good graces? And he draws you to himself by the grace of Christ and says, don't you know I want to like know you. God knows everything about us. He knows our thoughts before we even think them. And sometimes we're like, we wonder like, did he know that I was going to think that or say that? He did. But he draws us in for the purpose of signaling a relationship, of getting our attention, saying, I know you, I created you before you were even born. So the scriptures tell us in the Psalms, right? That's why we know that, that no birth is unplanned that God formed us in the womb. We know about that, and he knows, and he, and he draws us to himself through Christ by his spirit and his grace. And so he's not saying it that way. And so in response, Moses makes this big request, and this is gutsy in the scriptures. In verse 18, Moses kind of buckles down, right? Moses said, well, please show me your glory then. Wow, how many of us would step up to that after we've wondered what's God going to do. God says, I know you, but all right, then give it to me. So God shows him, which is point number two. Moses wanted to know who God was. God shows Moses exactly who he is. When you ask to know God, he will not hide himself from you. But he doesn't meet the request like we often think, right? Here's what God does. I want to read this narrative again. And he said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. He wants him to know again who he is. Remember when he showed up at the burning bush? This is when God introduced that name Yahweh and he says, I am the Lord. That's what I want you to tell people. He revisits that and says, I am the Lord. I'm going to make my goodness pass before you and I'm going to show you that's who I am. And then he re and then it reads in verse 20 there, but he said, you can, or back up, I'm getting ahead of myself. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy, parts of his character. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. 
And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you on in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God makes himself known to Moses, not the way he wanted. I think Moses wanted to know so, God so bad that he didn't understand how crazy his request was. He says, God, show me all of yourself then. Show me your power and your glory. And God says, whoa there, tiger. I can't do that because you're going to be dead. And he shows himself in a different way. He says, I love you too much to turn you into vapor by doing that. I'm too grand, too glorious. Friends, and I want you to see this even as I say that. Even as I spoke those words to you, I thought, do I think of God in that way? I'm too grand. He's too glorious. For us to even make a request like that, God, just show me who you are. He's too grand. He's too glorious. Do you worship a mighty God like that? Is that your perspective of God? Or is he some like little Sunday morning at 1030 little box that you put on and in? He's too big and marvelous. So he doesn't see God the way he probably wanted, but he sees him nonetheless the way that God wanted. You see, friends, some of us in our weak moments cry out to God and we say, can you just show me? And I know you identify with this because I identify with it and it's human. God, can you just show me that you're real? Do you know those weak moments? And maybe some of you are in them now. God, can I just know? I'm walking here alone. I'm struggling. Can you just show me that you're real? I want to see you. And we have this preset idea of what we want to see often. And usually, friends, we're American. You'll understand this. Usually it's a change of circumstance, right? Can you just show me that you're real? And kind of under our breath, as in get me out of this trouble and put my feet on a high place, when really we ought to just desire to know God through whatever he's bringing us through. We often want, God, just fix this, and I'll trust you, right? Our new human covenant. God, if you do this, then I'll trust you. But God gives us not what we want, but what we need, because he knows best. He's the one who loves us first, and he's good. And so he reveals who he is, and he shows him. This third thing specifically that God is a God of mercy and glory. I don't think it's a mistake that God puts Moses in the cleft of the rock here in order for him to pass by. Do you see the care and intention in what God does and the meaning in this? Moses, I can't show you my face because you won't live if that happens, but I will set you in this safe space and I will move past you and I'll show you my goodness in front of you so that you can know. And that's why God is gracious and how God is gracious, rather, because he shows himself to us in these small glimpses. He says, Moses, I'm going to hide you in the rock and I'm going to pass by. I'm going to cover you with my hand so that you can see me and know that I'm with you and for you. I'm going to put you in this safe space because I care for you, because I'm a God of mercy, even when you don't deserve mercy and protection because of your sin and obedience, I'm still going to give it. I'm going to cover you with grace and mercy. And that's what God says, right? I'll be gracious to who I'm going to be gracious to. I'll show mercy. He's reminding Moses, I'm giving this not because of you, but because of me. That's his character. And he says to Moses, I saw what the people did. I've seen your shortcomings and failure, and I'm going to cover you, and I'm going to set you in the safe space and pass by you to remind you of who I am. Friends, not to remind us of who 
we are. We like to come to worship often and be reminded of who we are. God says, I want to remind you of who I am. That's why we worship. That's why we're drawn to him because of his character and love. And it's after this that God tells Moses and he picks him up and tells him what to do. And I'm just going to read these first eight verses of Exodus 34. We're just kind of like getting into the chapter here. We don't have time for much else. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. So he's rebuilding this, right? And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. It's a reminder, right? But it's emphasis there. They broke the covenant. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you. And let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. He's being obedient, right? He's doing what the Lord says. He's wanting to know him, so he's being obedient. And took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there. And what did he do, friends? Proclaim the name of the Lord. He proclaimed his own name. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation." God demonstrates his character to Moses by renewing the covenant. What grace and mercy. We saw that in Psalm 103, right? The Lord is slow to anger. But did you notice what God did here? He said, I'm going to forgive, but I will know, by no means overlook sin in the way of not needing it to have a punishment. Which the only way we understand Jesus is to know God's heart and his wrath and judgment has to punish sin. It had to be on Jesus. And he says, there's no way that I'm just going to like pretend it doesn't exist. It still needs a punishment, which still then calls for a savior. And by his grace and by his mercy, he draws us to himself and hopefully to the presence of Christ as many of us have experienced. And so friends, as I close I'm just going to ask you three questions and maybe a little application to each one of them. Do you desire, the first is like I asked, to know God like Moses desired to know God? God's mercy and grace is demonstrated to us in Christ. God is faithful. He is a God of glory. We simply can't, though, be in his presence unless, one, unless two things happen. One, you need his mercy first, right? It's from God. He needs to demonstrate it. He has to want to make himself known and be in a relationship. And two, he has to send a mediator. We need some way to be in the cleft of the rock, and that is Christ, our rock and redeemer. That is who you ought to be drawn to. That is who you ought to be fueled by in your walk with him. And so if you don't know him, know that God is a God of mercy, and he offers salvation to those who come to faith in Christ. He's shown mercy to those who show mercy. He opens your heart by his spirit and grace and, and points you towards Jesus and says, you need a savior for your sin. And he provides this safety in the rock, which is Christ. And he sets our feet on Christ, our rock. And he says, I want to show you who I am. The second thing is this. God is a God of glory and perfect in holiness. And we need to be perfected 
to be with him. You can't see his glory fully now, like Moses. And what we know as believers, this is called sanctification, a perfecting. God is doing a work in us currently, those who know Christ, to sanctify us. And I, like many of you, wish I was in his presence now to be away from all the sin and yuckiness and, and just turmoil on this earth, wishing all my even own constant disobedience away. But you must trust in what the Lord is doing. It has purpose. He is showing himself to us in small chunks, forming us to be, giving us glimpses as Moses saw it. We see in this mirror dimly, right? And he gives us glimpses of his glory to change us. Savor these moments. Let God perfect you until he calls you home fully. And three, we need and have and can worship, I would add, a mediator and perfecter in Jesus so this can happen one day. Friends, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Look to Christ and walk with him. He is the rock that we hide in. That's such perfect imagery again for what it is to know God. Jesus is that safe space that we can trust in and walk through in this life. It is peaceful and protective and sure. Place your faith in him no matter what you're going through. Know him in that way. Don't ask God, know me, and can you show yourself to me so I can get out of this? He says, know me through it. Walk me through it. Friends, do you want and desire to know God? You can know him like Moses knew him. You can see him like Moses saw him. You can be with him as Moses is with him now. All this because of Jesus. Trust him for salvation. Abide in him and have life. Let me pray for us. And then I just want to um, wish you a happy Mother's Day again, but also remind one more note about mothers. I know that many of you may not have the best relationship with your mom but here's a way that you can demonstrate God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. Amen? To love her well, to honor her, if that be true of you. And if your mom is gone or whatever else the reason is, to just worship God and thank him for his unconditional love and faithfulness. I want to leave you with this from 1 Peter as we go. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Have a blessed day. Go in peace. You are sent.